The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. A lot of big political news overnight. The Oklahoma Republican Party has officially passed a resolution to condemn and censure senior Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. That's because Lankford has co-authored a border deal with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer that would allow 5,000 illegal immigrants to enter the country per day. That's approximately 155,000 illegals storming our borders every month. That's an annual total of 1.8 million people. I have a, a much better idea. How about zero illegal immigrants uh, at our borders? That was the policy under President Donald Trump, where illegal border crossings had trickled to a handful. There's no reason why we cannot return to that standard, but first, I guess, we must return to Donald Trump in the White House. Speaking of the White House, Axios reports that Governor Ron DeSantis is already contemplating a 2028 presidential race. Now, in American politics, uh, a day uh, is a lifetime. Uh, and in all honesty, by 2028, Governor DeSantis will be six years out of the governorship. That, of course, would mean, pardon me, would be two years out of the governorship. Uh, that would mean, of course, that he has no fulcrum, no ability to extort special interest campaign contributions, unless, of course, his wife, Casey DeSantis, runs for governor. Well, you heard it here first. I predicted it for some time. In order to hold on to their ability to extort money from special interests, Governor DeSantis's wife, Casey DeSantis, will run for governor at the end of his current term when Governor DeSantis uh, is barred. Unfortunately, uh, by 2028, of course, DeSantis could face an entirely rearranged political scene uh, and he would probably have to challenge uh, whoever it is that Donald Trump selects for vice president. Highly confident that the president will select somebody who not only is fully qualified to be president, someone who reflects his America first values, but someone who is able to carry the America first agenda forward. Uh, it is uh, most interesting as we look at the latest morning polls uh, in South Carolina. Now, Nikki Haley specifically said uh, on the night of the New Hampshire primary, where uh, she came in a distant second, losing by double digits, probably her best possible state, given the uh, support of Governor Chris Sununu, the rhino governor, and the extremely well-funded effort to get non-Republicans to flood the Republican primary, Donald Trump still won a solid double-digit victory. It's all downhill from here, baby. Uh, she's not competing in Nevada, where Trump will sweep both the preferential primary and the delegate-selecting caucuses. And then we go to Haley's home state. Now, Haley said on primary night in New Hampshire that she had to score better than she did uh, in New Hampshire, where she got 43% of the vote. But current polls in South Carolina show her at 31, literally being crushed in the state where the voters know her best. Perhaps it is her advocacy of a gas tax there, or maybe her ignoring the plight of South Carolina's farmers during a, a, a troublesome drought. Nikki Haley uh, is not popular. Meanwhile, Nikki Haley and uh, President Joe Biden both head to South Florida for fundraisers. 
but uh, the investigative reporter Laura Loomer has highlighted the strange commonality uh, among donors. Why would so many large donors to Joe Biden being give, be giving contributions to Nikki Haley? It's a legitimate question. Speaking of Oklahoma, I'm heading there on the first of the month, just days from now. I'm going to be signing uh, my book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case uh, Against LBJ. Uh, you can get your copy now by going to themanwhokilledkennedy.com. That's themanwhokilledkennedy.com. If you want to order it, I can send you a copy. Or I will see you uh, in Tulsa on the 1st at the Sheridan Church. You can go to sheridanchurch.com uh, and check out the details for that. That's coming up February 1st. All right. Um, today, we're going to take a little departure uh, from our usual political coverage uh, because uh, I, going on Twitter, bumped into a man who's demonstrated how any one individual citizen can make a difference. On December 7th, 1941, as I think every American knows, there was a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor by the Empire of Japan. This resulted in 2,403 total Americans killed, including 68 civilians. The largest loss of life that day came uh, among the crew of the USS Arizona. Uh, 82 years later, 85 crew members remain buried as unknown in a commingled grave uh, in a cemetery 10 miles away from Pearl Harbor. The U.S. government has the means, and today, certainly with new DNA technology, the ability to identify those 85 American heroes, but has refuses, refused to do so. One family member put his entire life and his savings on hold, uh, put his life on hold and his savings on the line now, and he has only just begun fighting the government, but funding a project to identify uh, the remains of those heroes. Let's watch this brief introduction into Operation 85. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. 1,177 crew members, both U.S. Navy and Marines, from the USS Arizona lost their lives during the December 7, 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor. 1,072 were never recovered or identified, and it was always believed that the entire crew's final resting place was within the sunken ship and beneath the USS Arizona Memorial at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. However, Approximately 170 bodies, or partial remains, were either removed from the ship itself or found in the water or shoreline surrounding the ship. They were temporarily buried. In 1947, 105 of those Americans were identified, and the rest were reburied in commingled graves marked Unknown USS Arizona at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Oahu, Hawaii. The ability to identify remains using DNA technology was unheard of in 1947. In 2015, the DPAA began to identify unknown remains from the USS Oklahoma that were similarly buried at the same national cemetery the Arizona unknowns are currently located. The DPAA located surviving family and requested their DNA reference sample. As of today, 362 of the 394 unknowns from the USS Oklahoma have been positively identified through DNA technology and given back their name. Despite the success of the USS Oklahoma identification project, the DPAA still refuses to do the same for the USS Arizona unknowns, stating it would not be practical to spend time, money, and resources to locate the surviving family of 1,072 of the missing crew for their DNA reference samples only to potentially identify 85 unknown Americans. Despite the Navy estimation of 2.9 million, 10 years, and 12,600 man-hours needed to locate and solicit DNA from Arizona family members, 
Operation 85 was formed to debunk this claim and take on what the US government would not, to give these men a chance to be identified. In only eight months, four volunteers from Operation 85 were able to locate and solicit enough DNA family reference samples of USS Arizona family members to represent nearly 400 crew members. One family member put his life on hold to personally fund and lead this mission to compel the US government to identify these American heroes. Thousands of supporters and over 750 family members have joined Operation 85 to participate and voluntarily donate their DNA reference sample. Their goal, remove the word unknown from their graves. Joining me now in the Stone Zone is Kevin Klein, the man who heads up Operation 85. Kevin, welcome to the Stone Zone. Roger, thanks so much for having me. I greatly appreciate uh, you once again giving me a platform to uh, tell my story, and uh, hopefully we can find some more family members. But I, I, I appreciate you giving me this time today. So, uh, Kevin, you uh, are uh, not a professional genealogist. Uh, you're not a historian. Uh, you're not a trained historian, certainly. You're a husband. You're a father. You're a small businessman. You're also a musician. I found that interesting. You tickled the ivories at a Trump property once, which I kind of like. Uh, but <laughs> your great uncle, Gunner's mate, second class, Robert Edwin Klein, uh, was aboard the USS Arizona uh, and is still considered among those who are missing. Uh, tell me how you became interested in this, other than your family connection. How did you learn about uh, this, shall we call it a misstep by the government? Because as I understand it, the remains of the great majority of those who lost their lives on the USS Oklahoma have been identified while that is not the case when it comes to the USS Arizona, where there was actually a greater loss of life. Yeah, right, Roger. So our family, obviously, having a, a, a American killed um, during war and World War II and on such an iconic ship, clearly that story stuck in our family, and as it did many other families, um, we always um, assumed, and so did most all other families, we always assumed that the remains of my great uncle were either entombed within the USS Arizona or, you know, somewhere underneath the wonderful USS Arizona Memorial there at Pearl Harbor. And we never thought any different. Our family was never told that there were unknowns anywhere else or remains were removed from the ship. And um, pretty much I went through my whole life thinking that's where he was. Uh, it was a bucket list trip that I have always wanted to do to go Hawaii. So last year, uh, I took my family and we went over to Hawaii for a couple weeks. And of course, obviously, one of the highlights for me was being able to go to the USS Arizona Memorial and pay tribute to my great uncle. And um, it was actually, I had purchased a book, Roger, um, about the incident somewhere in Hawaii, one of the gift shops. And I wasn't—I didn't begin to read it until on the flight home. And uh, that's when I learned about the unknowns and that there were remains and partial remains removed from the USS Arizona. Um, they all were not there and they were taken someplace else. Um, there, the story goes, there were some of them that were identified after the war. I believe 105 were identified when they uh, disinterred them and tried to identify them all. But 85 were left as unidentifiable. They did not have DNA, uh, DNA technology at the time. And so they were reburied, commingled graves, and just marked unknown USS Arizona. So that's how I found out about the, the unknowns. Um, I had attended a DPAA family update meeting. DPAA stands for the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. It is the government agency tasked with finding, locating, and identifying missing US service members from all over the world in all different conflicts of war. Um, I had attended a family member update now that I had this new information. And when I attended, I had asked them directly, when are the USS Arizona guys gonna be identified? Uh, they had uh, 
at the time started a project with USS Oklahoma. And it, as you saw in the video, they were able to identify many, many unknowns from that ship. Um, they were publicly advertising all types of other casualties from Pearl Harbor, but for some reason they were always um, just not mentioning the USS Arizona. So my question to them directly, and it was a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a few people there from the agency, and I said, uh, when are they going to identify the Arizonas? Are we next? And um, it got very quiet and they were very honest with me and they said, Kevin, we're gonna be honest. Um, it's just probably never going to happen. Um, the, the amount of family members we would have to find would be too great. And um, we most likely don't have the time and the resource to do that. And it's, it's not gonna happen. And that's what irritated me. It was a tough drive home to hear that. And it boiled the whole way, it angered me. That answer angered me, um, and I realized at that point, if the government wasn't going to do it, then time is of the essence. As we get further and further away from that event, I was going to do it, and here, here I am. So it is uh, my understanding that the government conducted a study as to the feasibility of uh, finding and identifying uh, the remains uh, of uh, these brave heroes. Uh, and they determined it would cost the Navy $2.9 million, 12,600 man hours, and could take up to 10 years. When you consider that we are sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, um, I don't think those costs are at all unreasonable. Uh, but you got a huge amount of bureaucratic pushback uh, from the get-go, no? Um, yeah, you know, surprisingly, uh, I, I did not... I'm. We're, we're over a year into this now, Roger, of, of me fighting this good fight. And I never expected to be this far into it. Um, I expected that maybe I'd do this part-time and take a couple months. And once the government realized this, you know, egregious oversight and, and they would just jump in and do what they've done for everyone else and do what our country expects of our government to bring everyone home and it, it, it didn't happen that way. Um, the government agency that's tasked to do this was and still is the hardest bureaucracy in this project to break. Um, it's very difficult to communicate with them. Um, it's very difficult to get any assistance from them. And so while other agencies such as the Navy Marine and the Navy and the Marine casualty offices have been wonderful to work with, and are very, very receptive to helping. Um, the DPAA uh, has been the complete opposite, and it's been very difficult to bust through that, that wall. We have a quick video uh, from the director of the DPAA. Let's take a look. Next question is from Anne via our website, and her question is, when will the USS Arizona unknowns finally get disinterred from the punch bowl? So I believe there are 94 unknowns uh, that are buried as unknowns at the Arizona, uh, that, that are buried as unknowns from the Arizona at the uh, National Cemetery there. You know, we, we have had preliminary discussions with the Navy, uh, and one of the proposals that we have notionally talked about is to disinter all of them, not for the purpose of identification, but to entomb them in the hull of the Arizona along with their shipmates. Uh, it's something that, again, we could never take on the process of disinterring the 94 from the National Cemetery only because it would cause us to have to get family reference samples for the, I think it's 1800. I'm, I'm not sure about the final number, but all the sailors and Marines that are entombed in the Arizona itself, we would have to go and get family reference samples again to compare against the 94. So it's not a proposition that makes uh, pragmatic sense, but more importantly, it's not one that the United States Navy is uh, 
open to only because the Arizona, the memorial itself, is their final resting place. So our notional plan, again, was to disinter the 94 in which to entomb them all together and to achieve. Kevin, uh, your reaction to that? Um, one point is that was uh, two years ago, and that was the stance of the uh, Navy Pentagon and the DPAA two years ago. And clearly that was, that's pretty much their stance now today, but some things are changing. So three points to that video, Roger. Um, the proposal to disinter all of them without identifying them and placing the unknowns back into the hull of ship or the hull of the ship and saying we have now officially accounted for all the crew um that actually is the least practical idea um only because we've recently found out that these graves have commingled americans from different ships so they would be assuming and in my opinion assuming very badly that all of those 85 are in fact USS Arizona crew. So just saying, okay, let's let's dig them up and let's put them in a casket and all at one time put them in the ship. That's the completely wrong thing to do because we don't know who they are. Uh, secondly, they said that it's the Navy is not open to this because the USS Arizona is their final resting place. And we all agree, that's what we always thought all along. But these 85 unknowns are not within the USS Arizona. They were removed, and now we need to figure out who they are. Um, and the third thing is the biggest reason and hurdle they have always claimed is the difficulty of going out, locating surviving family members from the crew of the Arizona and soliciting the DNA and from them so that they can match family members that they've given DNA with the 85 that have that are sitting in those unknown graves. Um, and that to me was always, you know, what I thought would be the biggest hurdle. And that's what Operation 85 is and has been doing. Um, and it was my hope that once we got this engine started, that the DPAA and the government would say, okay, maybe we, this was an overlook. Here's a family member that is organized and is efficient and is doing it and very successful at doing it. It doesn't take $3 million. It doesn't take 10 years. Maybe we should give this guy some credit and work with them and, and work with this Arizona project. So that was the, the most difficult thing to hear. Um, but yet that is the challenge that we have already overcome, but we just can't get through the DPAA to let them agree with us. I don't know why they want to continue to say it's, it's so difficult. You know, I'm, I'm just a, a dad and a business owner, and I've got a couple of volunteers helping me. And granted, I've, done this full time now for almost a year. I've spent a lot of my own money doing it, but it's nowhere near the amount of money they estimated. And most importantly, it can be done and it needs to be done. Time is of the essence. Um, we're finding, we're talking to these family members that a lot of them are dying and their family members are dying out. We've spoken with brothers and sisters. And by the time the Navy got the kid out to them, the person had died. Um, so. The longer the DPAA and the government continues to wait and hesitate and not jump on this, the harder it's going to be to do this in the long run. And seeing the word unknown on all those graves is what motivated me in the first place. And that's what we're trying to do. Uh, so let me ask you, Kevin, have you met uh, personally with the DPAA director, Kevin McKeague, to discuss this? Yes. Um, we met with uh, Mr. McKeague twice. Um, there's a picture of our, our first meeting there at the end. Um, he, I think the first meeting was more of what I would call an appeasement meeting. Um, we, it, it took me about six months to finally get that meeting with him. Um, at that point into the project, we had about 80 or 90 DNA uh, crew members represented we had about 150 family members at that point. It was very early on in the project. Um, and I believe it was just that first meeting was nothing more than an appeasement meeting. There were about, uh, it was a live meeting in Arlington, Virginia. I was there with the director and there was probably about 15 people on the video board from all over the country, in Hawaii, the lab. And uh, basically every question I asked, Mr. McKeague would point at someone on the board and have them explain why it couldn't be done. And it was, no after no after no after impossible after can't do it and it was 
somewhat uh, disappointing to hear that. But um, I wanted to come out with a win, even though I wasn't going to come out with what I wanted. So yeah. we came out with at least a, an agreement to keep this on the table. They would allow us to continue sending family members to the Navy and casualty office. And that's pretty much where we were at the end of the first meeting. It was not much to it. Um, about a month or two later, our numbers increased very, uh, increased much more. Um, more family members were connecting with them. More DNA was getting put in. And they actually reached out to me for the second meeting. And surprisingly, the second meeting was, uh, uh, I would say, a complete reversal to the first. I didn't feel it was an appeasement meeting. Um, but there was still, although they offered to find ways to be more efficient and collaborate with the information we were sending them, they still had uh, very little interest in helping, in fact, as promoting what we're doing, mentioning the USS Arizona, using the power of the DPAA, which they have, they're really an amazing marketing uh, agency. They're, they're really good at saying all the great things that they do. Um, however, during all that marketing and social media and all the stuff that they do, they purposely, um, and we have evidence of this, they purposely delete, or I shouldn't say delete, they omit the USS Arizona name. They omit the fact that we've been collecting family member DNA from the USS Arizona. Uh, just recently, around December 7th of uh, this past year, they posted several things on their Facebook page and social media explaining how they're collecting uh, DNA for this ship from Pearl Harbor and this ship. And they just refuse to mention the fact that they're collecting it from the Arizona. So had the DPAA actually um, joined with us in messaging and letting their audience know that we are collecting uh, DNA from family members for the USS Arizona, we probably would be at double the numbers that we're at today. But the battle is just getting them to uh, omit or uh, admit that they that this project can be done. I just can't get them to understand, even through all the work and success that we've had, that this is a doable project. They're still kind of stuck on this policy of um, it's too big, it's too hard. And, and, and Roger, if I can, I realized when we did the radio show, I was throwing a lot of numbers and a lot of... Um, uh, stats and things at you. And um, I wanted to just break this down of what the issue is as simple as possible. There are two numbers that we really need to look at. 1,072, which is the number that represents the amount of missing crew members from the USS Arizona. Okay. Big number. And 85. And 85 is what represents the number of unknowns that are separated from the ship and have the ability to be identified. Two numbers. The issue is the government looks first at this big number. They see 1,072 and they say, oh, Roger, it's, it's, it's too hard. It's too difficult. We have to find all these family members and it'll cost all this money and it's a lot of work. And, and that's my best impression of the government whining. But they basically made an excuse of why it can't be done. And in my opinion, to, they only to identify 85, they felt like it wasn't worth it. I look at this project completely differently. I looked at the 85 number first. Um, to me, that 85 represents 85 American souls, 85 uh, US service members that lost their life that day for our country. Probably most of them never even knew it was coming. Uh, 85 mother and fathers that never got to bury their son. So for me, that 85 number is worth it. So just like politics, Roger, there's two different organizations here that are looking at the exact same issue, but looking at it two completely different ways. One looks at it and says, uh, 85 guys is not worth it. And one looks at it and says, 85 guys are worth it. And that's really the fight and kind of where we're at with this. It's just really either is it worth it or it's not. And our and me and all these family members, we believe it's worth it. So, Kevin, uh, you've sunk, as I understand it, $50,000 of your own personal money into this. You put your life on hold to focus. And in nine months, you've made 
extraordinary progress. What have you achieved since you uh, began Operation 85? Um, the first few months were a, a very, um, I guess, a learning curve for us to figure out how to do this the most efficient way. Um, once we got our machine working and we most of our money and cost has been sunk into the efficiency of our databases, um, the efficiency of our website and automation with that. So what we set out to do, knowing this was a large project, is we invested most of our funds in trying to make sure that the research and technology that we're using would assist us to do a, such a large project in such a short period of time. Um, you're right, we're probably very close to $50,000, and those are physical costs, Roger. Um, I don't get paid for this. Um, certainly the volunteers that are helping us, we have three amazing volunteers that are professionals in what they're doing. Um, they certainly understand the DNA technology and research, and so I'm lucky to have some really good professionals volunteering, but they're not getting paid as well. Um, what we've done, we started officially April 6, 2023. Um, since then, we have connected with 756 family members. Um, out of those 756 family members, we've been able to represent 386, I believe, as of today, crew members that are family members that have sent in DNA. So we're up to 386 crew members that have been represented. Um, and along the way, we've continued to try to communicate with the DPAA, hey, look what we're doing. Um, look what we've built. Not only are we you know, flying with the amount of numbers and family members and DNA that we're getting in for our project, why don't you, you know, we would love to share what we're doing and maybe use it for other projects and the efficiency of other projects. Um, I don't wanna go into all the negative things that we have found out and the miscommunication and this and that with, with how different agencies communicate with each other. Um, but my hope is that they'll you know, see what we're doing and see that a private sector or a private industry person can uh, change some of the ways that the old dinosaur used to do it and maybe adopt it. So I'm hoping that not only will we uh, be able to push forward and hit the numbers that we want to hit. Roger, again, my goal was not to be a year into this. My goal was to make tried to convince the, the, the government that this was the right thing to do. There was an oversight and my goal was hopefully that they would join on board. It's a year later, it is getting costly. I don't understand why the government won't assist with at least getting our message out, assist. They have done what we're doing for free for every single ship at Pearl Harbor, except the USS Arizona. And that that's, you know, they talk about being equitable to all missing personnel, um, I don't find that equitable. If they have contracted and paid uh, people to do uh, what we're doing for the Arizona, they've done it for every other ship at Pearl Harbor, um, it's not equitable to me to see them uh, refuse to do it for the USS Arizona. Uh, so Kevin, let me ask you an obvious question. Um, uh, did you go to your congressman? Did you go to those members of Congress on the Armed Services Committee and what was their response? Politics is tough, as you know. Um, luckily, I live right outside of Washington, D.C., so my access to Capitol Hill and a lot of these members is very easy. Um, I, believe it or not, I started, I, I didn't have, I'm not a political guy, I don't have political access to open doors. Um, I actually started with a state senator, a Republican state senator in South Carolina. His name is Neil Collins. And the reason I started with him was because uh, I, I had noticed that the DPAA had posted him as finding his uncle from World War II, and I knew there was a connection there. So I had reached out to him and explained who I was and said, listen, I, I need to get in the door at in, in DC. I have no political connections. Um, could you help me open a few doors? And he made a few phone calls, and I was able to get in with some representatives in Congress for South Carolina, uh, and state state senator of South Carolina. And then kind of from there, I would ask each one, can you open a door? Can you open a door? Can you open a door? Um, there's never been, many attempts have been made for legislation to do this, um, but each time they always fail for one reason or another. Um, we pushed 
legislation to compel the DPAA to award a contract to do what I'm doing so I could go back to my life. Let them award a contract, let them start working on the Arizona and unknowns, and I'll go away. Um, that legislation was written. It was introduced by a congressman in uh, Colorado, and it was put into, introduced into the 2024 NDNA, uh, I'm sorry, the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, and um, it was passed. However, for some strange reason, at the very last minute, the legislation wording was completely changed. The language was changed, and it was changed in a way that made the complete legislation completely pointless, completely useless. So what I thought was going to be written to compel them to award a contract to do what we're doing and I can go home, uh, turned out last minute um, it was passed, but with this crazy wording, it's it's kind of... I don't know, it has something to do with genome sequence. I don't understand all that stuff, but it was passed in a way that made it completely useless. So then I couldn't give up. I had to now figure out a way to have that language corrected, which meant I had to start um, befriending senators on the, as you said, on the armed, service, um, uh, armed services committee, both the Senate and the House side. And hopefully that the word would be, the wording would be changed and corrected and was called conference. Again, all this stuff, even though I'm a, I lived in D.C. my whole life, I don't understand all these intricate details here. But we were going to have the wording changed in conference. Great. Uh, the conference was finished, and the wording came out, and we went to it right away. And two things were done. The, the legislation was not fixed in a way to force them to do it. What they were forced to do is the DPA was required to provide a briefing to both the House and the Senate uh, Armed Service Committee uh, regarding the USS Arizona and regarding the FRS, or the Family Re uh, Reference Sample Collection, DNA, of the family members. And there was a few other questions in there. So at least the, the uh, DPAA is going to be compelled to answer questions on how could a family member uh, jump in and get 400 crew members represented with DNA and 756 family members so far and do it for $50,000 when you provided a study that says it would cost this much. So when that briefing is, I don't know, it's supposed to be done by or before April 1st of this year. As you know, briefings are not public. So we'll probably, we'll never be able to fully know what happened in those briefings. And I am scared a briefing like that may be nothing more than an, an appeasement briefing, um, just to say, hey, we did something and then they kicked the can down the road. So um, I don't know what the next step is politically. Um, I've never worked personally with any members or any senators. As you know, in DC, um, everything gets done with staffers. Um, I was able to meet with many of the staffers of the members. I was able to meet with staffers on the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, they're all very wonderful people and they all believe in this mission, but we really need to find a way to bring the mission to the forefront and make sure that members are actually supporting this so we can get something that's actually usable through. All right, Kevin, I'm afraid we have to wrap this up. I know you have two imperatives. One is for people who have family members who perished on the U.S. Arizona uh, to be identified. And we found one of them for our radio show the other day. The others, yes. uh, you could certainly accept contributions. Where can people go to learn more? Yes, um, we would definitely love help if anyone wants to donate. You, our website is ussarizona.navy. Again, uh, www.ussarizona.navy. Um, they can go there and click on the donate button. And also there's a, a really cool gift shop that our web guys built with some a great memorabilia from Operation 85 and the USS Arizona. So if you buy something from our gift shop, all the proceeds go to uh, this project and helping us fund this project. So again, you can... Shop at the gift shop, or you can donate uh, right at the website, Arizona.Navy. And also, Roger, if there are any family members listening that are um, believe they are related to someone from the USS Arizona, please reach out to us again at that website, USSArizona.Navy. Um, you can connect with us there. If there's a family member portal that they can go through and fill out the information there, everything is secure. We don't collect anything other than your contact information, and we don't share it with anyone other than the Navy. So we're trying to do as best we can to make sure that we are as efficient as possible and get these family members into the Navy. So ussarizona.navy, please help out. All right. Thank you, Kevin Klein, for joining us in the Stone Zone. 
uh, folks, uh, I gave an interview at uh, AO uh, at OAN yesterday. You're going to want to check this out. Let's roll it. I'm Allison Steinberg and welcome to In Focus. On Friday, a jury awarded E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million in damages against former President Trump. The defamation case came after she falsely accused Trump of raping her in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the 90s on some unknown day and year. But this case was never about any sexual assault or defamation by Trump. It's what all the cases are ultimately about, and that is destroying Trump our constitutional right to free speech, and the ability to defend ourselves in court. Here's Trump attorney Alina Haba after the award. We are seeing a violation of our justice system. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not allowed to be stripped of every defense that you have. You are not allowed to be told that you can't bring it up and imagine a point where a judge tells the lawyer before your client the former president of the United States, the leading candidate and obvious nominee for the Republican Party, before he takes the stand to defend himself, Ms. Haba, tell me the questions you're going to ask in open court and tell me exactly what he's going to respond. And then edited my questions, edited the response he was allowed to give. Wow. One of the unique aspects of America is our former justice system that we're innocent until proven guilty. And every defendant has the right to mount a vigorous defense. Yet every defense Trump's team tried to mount was denied. Here's the outfit she claimed she was wearing, but it didn't even exist at the time. No wonder she couldn't bring it to court. How about the fact that the plot for her false rape allegation sounds exactly like an episode of Law & Order SVU from 2012? Take a listen in a public place yes there was one a bit plain and it was not her fantasy it was mine okay yeah she even got the fact the woman was plain correct when will the writers file a lawsuit against her for stealing their work almost 12 million of the award went for reputation repair programs for carol but there should be no repairing her reputation after she said this on Anderson Cooper. I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I a think most people rape. think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. Rape is sexy? <laughs> yeah. Ask any woman who's been raped if they thought it was sexy. But this comes from the woman who named her cat Vagina. Our courts are so rigged against Trump and MAGA now that they can use an insane, oversexed, disgusting hag with zero evidence in order to destroy anyone who stands in the way of their agenda. My next guest knows this all too well. Joining us now to discuss, Roger Stone, political advisor and host of Stone Zone on Frank Speech. Roger, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great to see you again. Great to be back with you. Have you ever seen anyone move to a break as quickly as Anderson <laughs> I sure have not. I think that is very telling. Uh, but, you know, Roger, even many never-Trumpers are saying that this Carroll case was one of the greatest injustices ever perpetrated in the courtroom. I mean, evidence against Trump was non-existent, and Hava was denied the ability to launch a defense. I mean, they are openly shredding Trump's constitutional rights as well as we the people, right? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I don't think uh, I agree with you. I think people across the country see through this as a politically propped up prosecution. Uh, the the uh, plaintiff can't remember when it happened, exactly the date it happened. There's many, many inconsistencies in her story. Uh, plus, she's obviously quite loony. Uh, they wouldn't let Haba show that video from CNN in either trial, by the way. Wow. So uh, I don't know how this is playing in New York, but I think outside the New York state, uh, it's it's actually just another example of the lawfare being used unfairly against the president, where he's not allowed to mount a defense. He's not even allowed to speak. Uh, I think Haba has been particularly effective here on the president's behalf. 
Yeah, I think so too. She's certainly doing a great job and it is incredible to see what is resulting from all of it. Uh, Carol's attorney reportedly told the jury it'll take an unusually high punitive award to have any hope of stopping Trump. They're also openly using the courts to control elections. So far, the Republicans are doing nothing really to stop any of it, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on this, Roger? Well, there's a couple of interesting aspects of this. First of all, they had to go change state law specifically so this action could even be brought, because even if, if Carol were telling the truth, the statute of limitations had run. Secondarily, we know that George Conway, uh, anti-Trump attorney, uh, met E. Jean Carroll at a cocktail party, suggested that she sue. When Carroll said she couldn't afford a lawsuit, uh, he hooked up financing from this billionaire leftist uh, Reed Hoffman, who also happens to be a major donor to Nikki Haley, as well as Joe Biden and many Democrat and left-wing causes. So they changed the law specifically. This is this is exactly what it looks like, a political hit job. I think people are, are seeing through it, and they, they virtually admit it. I think Trump will win on appeal, particularly if these new media reports uh, that detail a relationship between the judge uh, and uh, Carol's lawyer turn out to be accurate based on what I read they appear to be. Uh, that would be a serious conflict. Again, I don't think they really care about the $83 million, nor do they really care about Ms. Carroll. All they care about is causing maximum damage to Donald Trump prior to the election. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Roger. That is clearly what this is all about. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it shapes up from here with the appeal. Now, as you mentioned, far lefty Reid Hoffman funded this case, and he's also funding far left Nikki Haley's challenge to Trump in the primary. So, of course, she posted on X that this award is why Trump shouldn't win the nomination, which is just despicable. Uh, you know, since Stalin said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime, she's not Dick Cheney in heels, but Stalin in stilettos, I think. What do you think, Roger? Uh, very, very, very good line. Uh, I don't know who she thinks she's helping here. The, the people at the grassroots of the Republican Party love Donald Trump, uh, and they feel great sympathy for what he and his family are being forced to go through. Uh, does anyone think that if he were not running for president again, if he were not leading handily in both the nomination contest and in the general election polls, that he would be subjected to this tsunami of lawfare? Of course not. So uh, I, I, there is no constituency uh, within the Republican primary base. She did very well in New Hampshire among non-Republicans who were pushed into the primary and still being massively outspent. Trump got 70% of the vote of actual Republicans in New Hampshire. He rolled up the single largest total ever by a presidential candidate on either party in the history of the New Hampshire primary. And despite this effort to flood the Republican primary with non-Republicans, he still won by a double-digit margin. That was probably the best, uh, the the best shot she had in any state. She's not even competing in Nevada, and I predict you she's going to get crushed in her home state of South Carolina, where Governor Henry McMaster, uh, the lieutenant governor, the leaders of both houses of the legislature, uh, Republicans in both the state Senate and the state House, plus a majority of the congressional delegation, plus both U.S. senators are all supporting Donald Trump. Now, it's an open primary state where anybody of any party can vote in the Republican primary. But in South Carolina, independents lean right. They don't lean left. And you still have a 20 percent of Democrats who still consider themselves conservative. So I think Trump is fixing to win an enormous victory in, Haley, in Nikki Haley's home state. The question then will be, how much longer does she want to hang around and for what purpose? If she's just staying in the race to try to damage Donald Trump, well, then she is, as uh, as some have said, as Vivek Ramaswamy said, she's the puppet of the deep state. They don't really care about her. Uh, or is she trying to force her way onto the ticket? I don't think that's likely to happen either. So at a certain point, when she has no prospect of the nomination, why should she stay in the race other than with the purpose of damaging Donald Trump? 
Yeah, that is yeah. a fantastic question, I suppose. Really, only time will tell there, so we will stay tuned for that. But I think one thing is certain, that's the fact that they will stop at nothing in their ongoing lawfare scheme, including now manufacturing evidence. Uh, Roger, you've been reporting that you are actually the victim of an AI assassination hoax. Uh, really interesting story here. Would you tell us more about this? Yeah, it's uh, the, the media, which is a left-wing, you know, website, posted an audio that is allegedly me, in which they claim uh, that I am plotting the murder of two Democrat members of Congress. I immediately sent it out to three different programs for forensic analysis, and it's a fraud. Uh, I never said those words, uh, and it is a, it's an obvious fraud at that. Then shortly thereafter, you have a fake audio of Joe Biden uh, being used in a robocall to urge people not to vote in the New Hampshire primary. Uh, any objective analysis of this audio will prove uh, that it's a fraud, uh, a complete uh, setup. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to even dignify it other than to say uh, I've proven it. I posted it online that it's a fraud. You can go find that on my social media. Well, we know you would never do such a thing, and these uh, corrupt Democrats will stop at nothing to uh, push their sinister agenda. It's just ridiculous. Is there anything you can do in response to this? I mean, it's completely unfair. It's defaming you. Is there any action you can take in response to this? Well, uh, there's a couple issues. First of all, the, the defamation laws, are, the bars are very high. I'm a public figure. It's very hard to win a defamation act. You've got to prove actual malice. Uh, I point out that this audio was given to them anonymously, and therefore we don't even have the original, uh, and I don't know that they're going to be prepared to expose uh, their source. I I've talked to very good lawyers. I'm still considering my options. Uh, but in all honesty, it costs a lot of money. Uh, I'm still recovering from the two-year assault on me in the mother witch hunt, which, by the way, the fifth anniversary of the stunning pre-dawn FBI raid on my home uh, was just last week. So uh, it is, uh, it, I'm looking at all the options, but this is beneath contempt. Uh, it's a fraud, and anyone who listens to it can see it's a fraud. Yeah. You can hear yeah. that it's a fraud yeah. or read the yeah. analysis of it. It's a fraud. Yes, we, we know the truth, Roger. It's just amazing to see uh, what they will do again to push their sick agenda. Roger Stone, thank you so much for all that you do in this continued fight. Thank you for always speaking the truth, and thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate you. Allison, great to be with you. Thank you. For all our viewers asking where One America News is heading in the future, we would like to introduce you to OAN Live. OAN Live is the best way to... All right. Uh, our thanks to OAN for that great interview, and our thanks to you for joining us today on The Stone Zone. I do have to take this opportunity to remind you that our show is sponsored by the great folks at MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com is, of course, the major enterprise of the number one free speech advocate and, uh, and uh, election integrity advocate in the country, Mike Lindell. Uh, recently, Fox News announced that they would no longer accept any of Mike's advertising. He was paying the millions. So you can send Fox News a message and also help us here at the Stone Zone by going to MyPillow.com. And when you do, please use promo code STONE. Many, many great products there. If you thought MyPillow.com was just about pillows or just about bedding, that's not the case. So please go to MyPillow.com, whether it is the MyPillow dog beds or the pet blankets or the men and women's bathrobes or the towel sets or the uh, sheet sets or uh, any of the great products. Uh, it's a threefer. You can help that great American patriot, Mike Lindell, you can help us here on the Stone Zone, and you get the greatest products in the world. Please go to MyPillow.com and use promo code STONE. Until tomorrow, I'm Roger Stone. This has been the Stone Zone. God bless you, and Godspeed.